podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Fire for them, fire for them. If you're looking for that 35 bag umbrella and all damn thing there, keep it locked with this Unomics podcast. 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 Yo, what's going on, people? It's your boy, Dysonomics. You are now listening to my podcast, the Dysonomics Podcast. I hope you've had a fantastic week. Please make sure you check out last week's episode, Inflation Explained. We are in the mud. I speak on inflation, what it is, how it's measured, how it's calculated, what causes it, the different types of inflation, and what inflation are we seeing now. And I also give an example of when inflation goes super duper wrong in the case of hyperinflation and I use Zimbabwe as a case study so make sure you check that podcast out now a young announcement for you people this week or well as of Sunday the 10th of April me and a few other fantastic people announced the day after this is a daily show drop in on Monday the 18th of April at 7pm right um, I'm one of the hosts I'm also joined well I'm not one of the hosts to be honest I'm the news person but the hosts are the great the shade queen Esther you got the great presenter Koi Lawal and of course Big Margs so we'll be bringing you everything you wanted and you didn't even know you can get so it's going to be gist it's going to be informative it's going to be up to date and when you've got people like these lot on the pod you know you're going to get the real you get it it's going to be entertaining it's going to be interesting it's going to be I hate the word unfiltered it's so it's meant to be like edgy but these people literally say what they want to say to get so no more delayed takes and opinions or discussions on current events it happens the day after straight away to get so you're gonna be seeing um you can have your daily dose of news current affairs that's gonna be me it's gonna be trending topics lifestyle entertainment obviously the people then gonna be sitting down with your favorite artists entertainers educators celebrities creators entrepreneurs and influencers this is obviously the first of its kind so you make sure you are involved and obviously if you really love what we got um and you want to listen live on air you'll be able to do so by heading over to, to patreon so that is something to look out for people yeah so that's some good news you see it we're moving up in this world now for this week's podcast right dish wakes podcast we are talking the chancellor rishi sinek he's somebody i've mentioned numerous of times on this podcast uh, most recently regarding um, the cost of living crisis and of course the budget which is extension of the cost of living crisis because of budgeted Ethel. so this week we're going to get into our own his, Rishi's own crisis <laughs> some some may say karma like you didn't want to help the streets out with our cost of living crisis so God hit you with a young crisis of your own and yours is a political crisis so we're going to talk about Rishi in trouble hi guys I'm XM and listen to the Dysonomics podcast because it's late I'm not sure if any of you listen to Migos um, I believe their greatest projects Culture and that's Culture 1 not 2 or 3 3 was very good 2 was a bit mid they had a song which has been used as a meme many times on black Twitter from the US to the UK and it's niggas in trouble, niggas in trouble, niggas in trouble, Rishi's in trouble, Rishi's in trouble, Rishi's in trouble. That's all I was thinking in my head while I was doing this podcast. Rishi is in trouble. So let's start off at the beginning. 
who is Rishi Sunak? So if this is the first time listening to this on this podcast or any podcast or sort, you've never heard of Rishi Sunak or you've heard his name mentioned here about, but you don't really know what he does. This is a 42-year-old gentleman, Rishi Sunak, and he's the Chancellor of the Exchequer for the Government and Conservative Party. What is the Chancellor of the Exchequer? This is the person in charge of the finances. Yeah, he's the money man of... So imagine a company, he's effectively the CFO, the Chief Financial Officer of the company, which is the United Kingdom and the British government, run by the Conservative Party. He has been an MP since 2015. He's MP of Richmond, Yorks. And I don't think that's Richmond, like, on the district line. He was previously Chief Secretary of the Treasury in, 1990, in 2019 to 2020, before he became Chancellor. So obviously Boris Johnson won the election in 2019, um, defeated Jeremy Corbyn. Obviously, Rishi was then um, the Chief Secretary of the Treasury. But when Sajid Javid resigned as the Chancellor of the Exchequer, Sajid Javid is now the Health Secretary, by the way. It's quite interesting how you could be a Health Secretary and a Transfer Checker. Interesting set of expertise. Um, and I believe this is because, effectively, um, the Tories wanted to put certain people in his team and it was basically like undermining him. So he said, fuck that, I'm out of here. Like, layers. Um, he cut, and once he cut, Rishi got promoted. He actually also served under Theresa May's second government. He voted three times in favour of Theresa May's Brexit initiatives, but after she eventually resigned, um, he supported Boris Johnson's leadership charge, and obviously he's been rewarded. Personally, he was born in Southampton, so that's southern UK, to Indian parents who emigrated from East Africa. He studied PPE, which is politics, philosophy, and economics at Lincoln College, Oxford, and then went on to do the MBA at Stanford University as a Fulbright Scholar. So Stanford University is a very, very, very prestigious university in the United States. And he went there as a scholar. That's where he met his wife, Ashkata Murphy, Murthy, who is a daughter of billionaire N.R. Narayana, Narayana, who is Murthy, who is, of course, a billionaire. Um, and that is very interesting because that's the crux of today's story. After he graduated, he went on to work at Goldman Sachs and then became a partner in two different hedge firms. So Rishi Sunak is an extremely successful individual. Not only did he study like a quite prestigious course, he went on to a very prestigious university abroad, which is, which, remember, Stanford's in the United States. So that's going to be a bit of a spoiler alert. That's part of the key to the story. Yeah, He went to USA to study at a prestigious university, an MBA at that. Then went to Goldman Sachs, the biggest investment bank. Then went on to be a partner to hedge fund, hedge fund firms. Hedge fund firms, yes. Hedge funds, for those people who don't know, I'm not going to get hedge funds, but if you work at a hedge fund, especially as a partner, you are making six figures a year and you are be compensated very generously. And you're likely getting compensated very generously at Goldman Sachs. So he's somebody who's been successful pretty much for the outset. Now, to his political career, he really rose to prominence during the pandemic. So when they were doing the daily updates, which I was covering for you people on Instagram and Twitter, he was always the one who spoke with great articulation, great clarity. He was the one who seemed like he knew what he was doing. And to be fair, I criticise Boris, but when Boris um, unfortunately was struck with coronavirus and he was indeed fighting for his life, Dominic Raab, um, the transport secretary, the educational secretary, the business secretary, uh, so that's Grant Shapps, I forget all, some of the other guys, people's names, oh, Lord forgive me, they did not take the police press conference with anywhere near the confidence of Boris Johnson. And although Boris Johnson's method of, of oration, articulation, is a bit scattered, it's a bit messy. 
he actually is a pretty confident public speaker compared to the rest of his ministers. But Mish, Rishi, by far, was the best. And a lot of people start to think, hmm, could this be the next prime minister? He had like, all these cool photo ops through the pandemic, whatever. Cool. So what did he do in the pandemic? He spent unprecedented amounts on the pandemic response. Record numbers. It's funny because his first budget as... um chancellor was i think march 11 2020 and he had he had that 30 billion pounds worth of additional spending right and he allocated 12 billion for mitigation of the economy due to the impact of covid little did he know that that 12 billion won't be even enough to cover one of his schemes for a month on march 17th so literally six days later in, in 2020, he announced £330 billion in emergency support for businesses as well as the furlough scheme for employees. So I remember a lot of people saying, what is the government going to do? Listen, we can't work. We put us on lockdown. Duh, 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 duh. He came up, boom, we're going to do this, that, 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 that's mine. <laughs> Where's the heartless crew? He came in, he came up swinging. And as I described at that time, he opened his LV duffel bag full of cash, cash and he was just spending recklessly. Like a trip to Mykonos, he was just blurring out like Tinder swindler. Um, one of the main schemes was the furlough scheme, which was also known as the job retention scheme. This was, this was announced in, in March 20, 2020, and this was effectively this. Providing the provision of grants to employers to pay 80% of a staff wage each month up to the total value of £2,500 per person per month. So if you have 10 members of staff and you put them all on furlough, every member of staff, each, each 10, for each one, of the, each one of the 10, would have 80% of their wages paid up to the limit of 2.5k per month this this was actually initially meant to run for three months but it kept on getting extended 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 and ended up running from march 2020 to september 2021 and this scheme cost 14 billion pounds per month 14 billion per month that's like an estimated quarter of a trillion pounds on furlough alone so that was a big, big, big scheme. A lot of money. Speaking of money, guys, we've seen so many people make ridiculous money from crypto. Some of them are friends. They're not bringing me in. I'm not happy about that. But did you know, is it also easy for you to do the same? The Copy My Crypto membership site shows you the coins that YouTuber James McMahon personally holds and allows you to copy him. It's like having a big brother who knows what he's doing. You don't need to know a thing about crypto or to invest. You simply just do what he does. Kind of like my little brothers. They just copy me. Everything I wear, they copy. All the music I listen to, they copy. Now they're seen as the cool kids. It's a scam. So let me tell you more about James. He runs the Crypto with James YouTube channel, which despite heavy censorship, has over 17,000 subs and over a million views. Since March 2020, he has told his viewers to buy 26 crypto coins. How do you put 100 bucks into each one? you will now be worth over $66,000. I don't know why James didn't hit me up himself. <laughs> of the 26 coins, his pick of the year, a coin called Phantom, is currently up over 440 times for when he said. 440 times. Bloody hell. That one call alone has retired a couple people, including people in their 20s and 30s. 
remember this is public knowledge you can go on youtube and verify this yourself so don't think that this is a big scam you can go check um so if you'd like to join the 1300 members who copy james then what you need to do is to stop what you're doing and head over instantly to copy my crypto that's copy mycrypto.com flush that's this suit so the fact that you listen to dysonomics you know what this suit that's d i s u you'll not only find proof of everything i said but my listeners get full access for just a dollar which is like what 75p if you listen in the uk easy peasy you won't find this anywhere else you'll find this off anywhere else but you need to move quick because it's off end soon you can't come and DM me on Instagram or Twitter. Oh my God, this offer's gone. So that's copymycrypto.com forward slash D-I-S-U. So that's copymycrypto.com forward slash D-I-S-U. Don't take this offer lightly. He's a real deal. Go visit the site right now, ASAP. Also, um, in July 2021, he unveiled a plan for further 30 billion of spending, which included a stamp duty holiday. So people won't pay stamp duty up to a certain limit for a period of time, a cut to VAT for hospitality sector and the eat out to help out scheme. And obviously a job retention bonus. The eat out to help out scheme was announced to support and create jobs in the hospitality industry, which of course was battered during the pandemic. The government subsidised food and soft drinks at participating cafes, pubs and restaurants at 50%, up to £10 per person. And this was available in the month of August from the 3rd to the 31st of August 2021, Monday to Wednesday each week. I remember that scheme because I remember them times I went to random, I was just hungry, I thought, you well, let me just go Westfield because I live not too far from Westfield at all. So I went to Westfield to have some food. What did I eat? I think I went to Rhythm's Kitchen. Um, yeah, the Caribbean spot. And I got like a uh, large jerk meal, jerk pork meal, a drink, da 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 da. And when I saw my price, I was like, what? Because I, I completely forgot. Even once I went to McDonald's in Westfield again, like I got like six, nine nuggets meal, da 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 da, drink, extra da da. And I was like, I was like, what? Like the price, I, I, I remember the price because I forgot of the meal. I said, no, I ordered a meal. Like I ordered a meal. And the woman was like, yeah, I know. I said, no, I ordered a meal. I was like, Eat out, I was like, oh shit, my bad. Like, yeah, no, we're eating good at that scheme, Steve. Uh, I remember the queues for Nando's, it was absolutely insane. In total, the scheme subsidized 849 million pounds in meals, right? It did boost hospitality industry, but a study from the University of Warwick found that the scheme actually was very likely to contribute to a rise in COVID 19 infection between anywhere between 8 and 17%. <laughs> so boy I remember Richie was getting the blame for the ER to help out scheme in the back end of 2021 I remember that still anyway what is all the fuss about now so I spoke about the background of Rishi where he went to uni who, he's, who his wife is his work outside of in the financial industry financial services sector post post grad his rise to prominence in the Tory party and what he's done in the pandemic response as a chancellor since 2020. But what's the fuss about right now as we speak? Well, Chancellor Rishi Sunak held a US green card, allowing permanent residents in that country while he was chancellor. Some people say, yeah, and? Well, he returned in October 2021 last year, ahead of his first trip as UK government minister. He came out, this came out as Mrs. Sunak, Mr. Sunak himself is on a hot seat over the revelation that his wife is not liable for UK taxes 
on her overseas earnings. So the streets are like, well, wait, hold on a goddamn minute. You telling me your billionaire ass wife ain't paying her goddamn taxes? That's what the streets be saying. Naturally, Mr. Sunak claims it's a smear campaign against his family. The Lib Dems are like, nah, brother. We're calling for Mr. Sunak to resign. I think one of them had, you know, in part six, I have these flipping cheesy lines. He's like, for his green card, he, be, he should be shown the red cards. Well, hey, that was ass, by the way, Liberal Democrats. Come harder. Mr. Mr. Sunak, our chancellor, filed US tax returns while he held his green card as the rules suggest, according to a spokeswoman, but specifically as a non-resident in full compliance with the law. That's what I said he did. The spokeswoman added, as required under US law and as advised, he continued to use his green card for travel purposes. Upon his first trip to the, into the, to the US in a government capacity as chancellor, he discussed the appropriate course of action with US authorities. At that point, it was considered best to return his green card and he did immediately. So I said, listen, my boy Rishi's hands are clean. The moment he rolled back to the US, now he's officially a government minister, he gave back the things. And he's been doing his taxes lawfully. Chancellor Rishi Sunak's wife could save herself £280 million in UK tax thanks to a loophole created by a treaty between UK and India dating back to the 1950s. So before we get into the loophole, it's um, like how his wife is benefiting from the loophole, let's actually address something called non-dom status. And that's not Dominic, that's not condoms. Sorry, I'm in a silly mood. Non-dom is non-domicile, non-domicile status. Akshata Murthy, Mr. Sunak's wife, has a non-dom status, meaning she doesn't have to pay tax, UK tax, on income earned abroad. So any money she makes in India, in the United States, in Saudi Arabia, in Japan, you name it, she doesn't have to pay any UK taxes on it. Non-dom is short for non-demicile individual. It is a term used for a UK resident or somebody who resides in the UK whose permanent home or domicile is outside the UK. So, for example, some of your parents can actually be uh, technically... Let's say, for example, I don't know, um, your parents went and lived permanently in Jamaica. But because... But they still have residency here. And if they come here to, let's say, start working for a year, they can claim non-domicile status because their permanent home is not here. Non-dom is a description of a tax status and has nothing to do with your chosen nationality, your citizenship or residential status, although all three of the above can impact your non-dom thing. A non-domicile resident, in the, oh, sorry, a non-domicile individual only pays UK tax on money earned in the UK. So anything she earns in the UK, she'll pay tax on, no problemo. But anything earned outside the UK, stay safe. The only way she can have she can pay any tax on money earned outside of the UK is if that money is paid into a UK bank account. Then she must pay tax. For wealthy individuals, this presents the opportunity for significant and this is the key point, entirely legal tax savings if they choose a lower tax country for their domicile. If you are a 
if you are non-dom and you choose not to pay tax in the UK on your overseas earnings, you must pay a substantial annual charge, right? So you, you don't just get this benefit for free. £30,000 if you've been here for at least seven years of the previous nine tax years. So if you've lived in the UK for seven out of the previous nine tax years, you pay an annual charge of 30k for this non-domicile status. You also pay, you then pay 60k a year for, for at least, if you've been here for at least 12 of the previous 14 tax years. So the longer you've been here, the more money, you, the larger charge you pay, because obviously you've been shirking, uh, you've been evading, not evading, you've been avoiding, shall you? and that little slip up, it's going to make sense later. You've been avoiding large sums of tax because of the status. In 2017, the non-DOM rules were changed. You can, no, you can no longer claim the status if you have been a UK resident for 15 out of the previous 20 years. Or if all of the following conditions apply. You were born in the UK. Your domicile of or origin was in the UK. You were resident in the UK for at least a year in 2017. So, you can't claim non-domicile status if A, you have been a UK resident for 15 of the previous 20 years. So, in the previous 20 years, if 75% or more of your time was spent as a UK resident, you can't claim non-domicile status. And B, you can't claim non-domicile status if you're born in the UK and your domicile of origin was in the UK and you're also a resident of the UK for at least a year since 2017. Those are the two conditions when you can't claim non-domicile status. A non-domicile has to provide evidence to UK tax authorities about their background, their lifestyle and their future intentions. You have, to, you have to volunteer the gist. However, if you earn less than 20k a year from foreign earnings, you don't have to bring that money to UK. You don't have to do anything. So if you're earning, more, let's say you've got like a young business abroad, do you know what I mean? Earning 20 racks or less, they don't give a heck. You don't have to, you don't have to do anything. This non-domicile system has been around for more than two centuries. It was first introduced in 1799 and it allowed people with foreign property to shelter it from wartime taxes. So it's so interesting where a load of these taxes that we currently have were introduced during war times and it just kind of stayed. According to the latest figures from HM Revenues and Customs, there were 75,700 people claiming non-domicile status in the UK in the tax year ended 2020, so the 2019 to 2020 tax year. This was down from 78,600 people in the year before, and this shows ever since this new rule, 2017, there's been a downward trend in the numbers of people claiming non-domicile stats in the UK. A recent, recent acad academic, academic, you know, I'm moving mad, DJ Academics. <laughs> a recent academic study people in 2018, or who had claimed on their status since 1997, found that more than 93% were born abroad, and another 4% have lived abroad for a substantial period of time. So 97% of the people claiming non-domicile status were born abroad or spent most of their time or a significant chunk of their time abroad anyway. So it kind of made sense. Three in 10 people who earn 5 million or more claims non-domicile status compared to less than three in 1,000 among those earning less than 100,000. So this shows that people earning hella, hella cash tend to claim non-domicile status. 
or, or more like to gain on our status than people who don't earn that much cash. Most non-domicile status people come from Western Europe, India, and US and the US. Although there had been a rapid rise in 2001 of non-dons from China and former Soviet states, and also most most lived in and around London. And more than one in ten adults in Kensington and the cities of London and Westminster were or had been non-domicile. Super interesting. So the people who can afford to live in the most prestigious and expensive areas in London, ten of them, one point or probably not. Makes sense. The non-domicile status wears off after fifteen years, and the person is subject to all tax requirements of UK citizen, including tax on their estate. There is an exception, though. There's an exception for Indian citizens around inheritance tax. This tax technicality, what Andy Tate technicality, means that if Mrs. Murty, Rishi Sunak's wife, agrees to pay UK taxes on her worldwide income, but retains her non-domicile status, she can still benefit from a provision in the 1956 treaty. This treaty was designed to stop Indian citizens being double taxed on their states in UK and India, which makes sense. But Mrs. Murty earns from shares in Infos, Infos, Info, I can't even pronounce this company. Sorry, people. Info, I-N-F-O-S-Y-S, Infos, Infosys, whatever. So unless um, her dad's uh, IT company and she has a 0.91% stake in it. So less than a percent. But this stake is so big, it makes her net worth bigger than a queen's. Another interesting thing. India abolished inheritance tax in the 1980s. But this tax exemption was never revoked. So inheritance tax is what you pay um, on assets found to you upon the death of like family members and whatever. So India abolished inheritance tax, but the tax exemption of inheritance tax was not revoked. So this allows you to effectively shirk inheritance tax in the United Kingdom. So Miss Murty could have her estate taxed at zero upon her death. So when she unfortunately passes to the next life, she can hand down her estate to her children, if she has children, I'm not sure, or whoever, at zero percent instead of 40 percent. And currently, her stake is worth approximately seven hundred million pounds in the cup, seven hundred million quid. Yeah. So if she was to pass down that stake in the company, that is a tax saving of two hundred and eighty million pounds due to this loophole. Insane. Her current reduced tax rate on her worldwide income can actually be perfectly legal. And HMT Treasury said that the Chancellor provided all relevant information on his interest when he became Chancellor. So he, according to the Treasury, they said, yeah, everything to do with his wife, business, da, 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 he gave us all relevant information. So they were happy that there was no conflict of interest. So why does it matter if this is the case? Why does it matter that um, Mrs. Murty, his wife, can benefit from these, um, from these uh, tax loopholes that enable her to avoid tax legally why does it matter well this is why it matters rishi is a chance to check her that means he has oversight and control over fiscal matters in the uk 
what's fiscal matters, matters of government spending and government taxation. This means he regularly reviews tax. He also regularly rules, reviews tax rules, including the nomadomis, our tax rules. So people say that he clearly has a conflict of interest because he is likely not to change his non-domicile rule because his wife benefits from it, which is his partner and his family. He's reviewing rules which directly affects the financial arrangements of his own family members. And this seems uncomfortable at best. It's a direct conflict of interest at worst. Others, including the Chancellor's political opponents, have suggested that Mr. Sinek should move his power over non-domicile policy to other, another department. Now, some tax, I mean, sorry, some shares give you dividends. So money, oh, thank you for holding shares. Here's what you get, do you know what I mean? We've done well, oh, this is what we've done this year. Here's your dividend from Apple or whatever. Now, from the company Infosys, or Infosys, whatever it's called, um, there was a reported dividend of £11.5 million from the £700 million worth of shares. Mrs. Murty would have paid a tax of 39.5% as a UK citizen, which would be £4.5 million in tax, which is brutal. You chopped £11 million, but the government took 4.5. God forbid. However, as an Indian citizen, the Indian government would tax dividends at 20% withholding tax the uk government would then tax the difference between that and the uk rate of 19.5 percent so she paid 19.5 percent instead of the full whack of 39.5 due to the indian government's charge of in the government's would be charged of 20 percent remember she's a resident in india so the Chancellor's wife saved 2.1 million a year through her non-domicile status. She has also reportedly received income from companies based in Mauritius, which endures an even more favourable tax treaty with India, where the Indian government withholds just 15% income from um, Indian companies. So they're saying, boy, she might even be chopping even more. But nobody knows definitively if she holds shares through any company um, f from Mauritius or any other tax haven. That cannot be said definitively yet. According to a spokesperson for HM Treasury, HM Treasury, they said, the Chancellor provided a full list of all relevant interests when he first became Minister in 2018, as required by the Ministerial Code. The independent advisor of ministers' interests has confirmed that they are completely satisfied with the steps the Chancellor has taken to meet the requirements of the code. To be clear, Ashton Murthy is not accused of any wrongdoing whatsoever, but someone with preferential tax status living in number 11 down the street makes people feel uncomfortable. Which I get to a degree. Rishi Sunak, again, defends his wife, saying... This is unpleasant smearing. BBS, the BBC estimates that she would have avoided £2.1 million a year in UK tax. Labour claims that this will be breathtaking hypocrisy as the Chancellor's wife has had a tax bill reduced whilst he raises tax for millions of workers. And Rishi told us in an in interview, to smear my wife to get at me is awful. 
Mr. Sunak insisted his wife had not broken any rules. Every single penny she earns in the UK, she pays UK taxes on. And every penny that she earns internationally, for example, in India, she will pay the full taxes on that, he said. He said that it was unfair to attack his wife when she was a private citizen. I'm an elected politician, so I know what I signed up for. But he's saying, why are you going at my wife? Now, this brings up tax evasion versus tax avoidance. And I think people often conflict the two. Tax evasion means concealing income or information from tax authorities. That's illegal because you're evading, you're dodging tax. Tax avoidance means legally reducing your taxable income. The difference between tax evasion and tax avoidance largely boils down to two elements, lying and hiding. Tax avoidance is structuring your affairs so that you pay the least amount of tax. Tax evasion is lying on your income, tax form, or any other form to, to stop to paying the tax. So what are types of tax evasion? Not reporting or under-reporting income to the tax authorities. Keeping businesses off the books by dealing in cash or other devices with no receipts. Hiding money, shares or other assets in an offshore bank account. Misreporting personal expenses as a tax deductible business expense. And using company property for personal use without valid business reason. So those are tax evasion. And from this, it doesn't seem that the Chancellor's wife did that. Now, there was another issue of the COVID schemes, right? A collapsed fitness chain, fitness chain called, where is it? Uh, what is the name? Called Dime Fitness, was paid £635,000 in furlough costs. And this was a company linked to the Chancellor's wife. Also linked to Chancellor's wife is, of course, the IT company that she has less than a percentage share, her dad's company, Infosys. And they also received money from the government during furlough. Infosys furloughed 3% of its UK staff in the UK. And reportedly, there's over 10,000 members of staff in the UK offices. So that would be about, what, 300 members of staff? Loads of money. Mrs. Murty also has um, also has a four point five percent four point five percent stake in the gym business I mentioned, Dime Fitness, and it had eight studios in London and Oxford, and they all had to close. Um, the company um, collapsed two months ago, leaving the tax um, leaving uh, the taxpayers with a debt of four hundred and fourteen thousand pounds. The Times reported in March twenty two it had received between three hundred and ten and six hundred and thirty five k in furlough. And 415k of this was, um, and 415k owed to HMRC was including unpaid, which was unpaid, unpaid VAT, PAYE, and national insurance. So it's just looking sketchy. And that's what this is. This is just sketchy looks. And people are saying that this is basically torpedoing his chances of being prime minister. And it just seems that all these ministers are getting hit up. First, it was um, Preeti Patel with the bullion thing, which he bust case on. Then it was Matt Hancock with the cheating thing and um, not even just the cheating thing, the fact that he broke lockdown rules and then Dominic Cummins saying that he lied several times. He got finished. He, Boris, lockdown parties, um, getting Tory donors to pay for refurbishments. He's still standing somehow. So it's just techie. It's just techie. So yeah, that's it. I wonder... I personally don't think some people believe Rishi is going to be moved. He's going to like have his job chopped in the, the next cabinet reshuffle. I don't think so. But yeah, let me know what you think. 
until next week bow sports social podcast network